You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. We are in the book of Colossians. At the moment, we're starting a new series uh, and we're going to be looking at Colossians 1 verses 15 to 19. So that's on the back of your handout that you've got there. Those five verses are where we're going to live for the next five weeks. We're going to dive deep and have a think. We're going to think deeply about the person and work of Jesus. This is significant. The person and work of Jesus. This is why we are here. Because of Jesus and all that he has said and all that he has done, all that he's achieved and all that he will achieve. So we want to be a people that really live by what we say we value, which is knowing Jesus so that we can be making Jesus known. So we're going to be living in those five verses. Hence why um, we've been, I've been encouraging, many of us have been encouraging you all to be reading through the entire book of Colossians over the last three weeks. Hopefully you had an opportunity to read it through at least once. Anyone get through Colossians more than once? Give us a toot. More than twice? More than 50 times? Whoa! Who was that? Someone just Colossians on repeat on their phone, just order audio, audio the whole time. Good on you, whoever that was. Um, I mean, Jesus saves you, that's, um, but I mean, I'm encouraged by your faithfulness. Now, the reason why we do that is because there is a slight danger of diving too deep into just one verse at a time because we don't have the context around it. We want to read scripture in light of the whole uh, because there's some things that you read, you know, when you just linger on one verse or a couple of words, you start like doing weird stuff when you just like, you can miss the forest for the trees. You know, you can miss the, you can miss the bush for the ironbarks. You know, you want to make sure that you're understanding all of what it's saying in light of everything else that it says. Um, so, and we'll see how that plays itself out um, even over the next couple of weeks as we seek to draw in other parts of Colossians and even other parts of the Bible to help us understand who Jesus is. Um, the second reason for that, we've been getting you read, read through Colossians and pointing you towards that, is, uh, hey, we just want to encourage you guys that, um, you know, there is a plan in terms of how this church thinks about your personal formation as a disciple of Jesus. Um, we just don't want you to do things for no reason. Uh, we really do want to help equip, equip you to loving Jesus more in a way that is good and that is right and even efficient, right? Getting you to do meaningful things that will add value and help you get the most out of your times when you come here on a Sunday, when you meet together in a gospel community, when we gather to pray. Uh, we hope that we can lead you well. I hope I can lead you well um, in following Jesus well. Now, today we are in our new series and we start at verse 15. Eight, eight words, I think it is. I'm going to read them for us again. This is where we're going to live. 
hey, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now I wanna start with a question as we begin to think about this, this one verse. Um, I wonder who you think is the smartest person in the world. If you had to run through your mind, people that you know or the people that you've heard of, I wonder what categories you apply to smart. You know, is it someone that's, you know, a, a clever social media influencer? Is it someone that's just really rich? They're smart. Are you, are you thinking maybe you're thinking like physics or mathematics or economics? Maybe it's an Albert Einstein. You know, maybe, you know, maybe it's like a Elon Musk or someone like that. Who do you think is the smartest person in the world? Maybe another way to phrase that in today's uh, language is who do you think is the goat? Who's the goat in your life? They are the goats. They, they are, for those of you that were born after, uh, before 1990, uh, goats is the greatest of all time. Who do you think is the greatest of all time? Like, what is it? What are the things that you love to follow, you love to do? And you, there's a couple of people that you know, they are the goats. I mean, Surf Coast, you know, a lot of people would say, Kelly Slater, he's the goat, isn't he? He's the, he's the greatest of all time in, times of, in terms of surfing. Who do you think is the, the greatest of all time? We need to hold on to that thought. Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul is the man that writes the book of, writes the letter of Colossians. Uh, it is a letter written to the church that is in the town of Colossae. Uh, Paul is writing to them from prison. So uh, Paul is, you know, he's, he's been in prison because he's a preacher of Jesus and he's having to suffer for his faith. Um, he's in prison, so he's got a bit of downtime. He's in an actual lockdown moment. So, you know, he's catching up on his emails. You know, he's spending some, you know, doing some isolation time. And now he's writing out to some of the churches that he knows has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, Paul actually hasn't been to Colossae. He hasn't been to the, to, to the Colossian church, uh, but he knows Epaphras who has gone before him and that church has started up. Now, Colossae is a really interesting city at the time. It is a mix of both Jews and Gentiles or Greeks. So there's a bit of a hybrid type of culture that's going into the church here. So you've got some that know the story of God, that know the history of the Bible, and you know, one true God, Jews that have become Christians that have seen Jesus as the sent one, the Messiah, the chosen one of God. But then you've also got these Gentiles that are within this pagan society. There's the worship of many gods, but they've turned from that to see Jesus as the one true God, and they're following him together. But being in this sort of uh, melting pot environment as they're all together, uh, they still have these ideas of the culture of Colossae that seep into the church. There's still other things that they sort of, uh, that they sort of are dealing with and, and thinking about. That it, So Paul is writing into that to try and help answer some of the questions that they've been asking in terms of their hope and where they find their peace and where they find their way of life what is going to guide their lifestyle for where they are. And he writes into the church's context. Now, interestingly, maybe you notice, if you read through the whole book of Colossians, you can't actually tell what the key problems are that he's addressing. There's some little hints, like you can sort of pick up on it. You can sort of pick up that, you know, there's some people that are putting their faith in lucky charms and trinkets of the day. There's people that are putting their faith and their, their hopes in the type of work that they do or the great leaders that they follow. But we can't exactly know what the exact problem is. 
But what we can definitely tell from what Paul says to the Colossian church is that he tells them what the answer to all of those longings and strivings and worries and fears are. And if you had to sum up the book of Colossians for what Paul wants to say to them, he'd just be like, guys, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He goes on to say, and I love this verse. He says to them, this is in chapter two. In Christ, two, three, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So I wonder who you thought of before as the goat, the smartest person in the world. It's Jesus. Let's check that again. That's right. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the knowledge. Like all of it. Like if you wanted to do an economics degree or a business degree, the best lecturer for that course, who's taken this one? Oh, uh, Jesus. <laughs> I heard he's got all the knowledge. That's, uh, he's, he's pretty good at what he does. Um, and he's also really gracious whenever you um, hand in a late assignment too, I've heard, you know, merciful. Paul wants to talk to the Colossian church and point them to Jesus. He wants them to see that Jesus is the answer to whatever their worry, whatever their striving may be. And so he gets to this, he gets after his little introduction that we've begin, begun to read on what God has done in Christ. And then from verse 15 to verse 20, what we're going to look at is he has this little poetic aside, not an aside, this, this, this is like the, the gold in this, in this letter of who Jesus is. And he starts talking about how good Jesus is. And this is where he starts. He is the image of God. He is the image of the invisible God. In case you missed that, that means Jesus is God. The historical faith, the Orthodox Christian faith would say Jesus is God. You think about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, when we read this for the first time in our Western society, which is a little bit like, oh yeah, sure, reading through the book of Colossians, I wonder if when you got to that, as you're reading through the book over the last couple of weeks, when you got to, he is the image of the invisible God, that you just went, wait, wait a minute, what? What? He is the image of the invisible God. You see, I imagine that as the, uh, as the Jewish people of Paul's day got to read this, got to hear about this, and they go, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's a moment that they would have been like, are you saying that in Exodus 33, when it says, when God says to Moses, you cannot see my face or you shall surely die, that Jesus is the image of this invisible God? Jesus is making the invisible visible? Are you saying that this Jesus, the one of whom we read in Deuteronomy 4, when God says, you can hear my voice, but you will not see me, that Jesus is the image of this God? Are you saying that Jesus is the, rep the human representation of this God that for, for centuries before has only ever revealed himself as light 
or fire or smoke or wind or sound, that Jesus is the image of the invisible. You can see God in Jesus. The original readers, their minds being blown. Paul is wanting the Colossian church. He wants us to see today is if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus, the image of the invisible God. For we know how God introduces himself to to his people, doesn't he? The Lord, the Lord, a God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. What does the life of Jesus look like? That. (laughs) The Lord, the Lord, a God, uh, merciful and gracious. You read through the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you read through the accounts of his life. If you want to know how God would interact with this world, if he was to put on flesh and become God incarnate, Emmanuel, look at the life of Jesus. Open up the word of God. Look at what the historical writers recorded in his engagement with people. Look at how God engaged with sinners longing for forgiveness. Jesus shows us that. Look at how God engaged with the religious people of the day that were only only cared about the things that you did and not actually the purity of your heart. Look at how Jesus engages with that. Look at how God engages with that. Because we see God in the Old Testament. There's a few things that he does that if it if if you can't just tell from Jesus' character and his interactions with people. There is God in the Old Testament who provides the manna in the wilderness, the bread to feed his people. There's God who is able to call water out of the rock to to give drink to his people. There's the God who is able to defy the waters, who has control over the Red Sea to liberate his people from imminent danger. There's also God that is able to turn the water of the Nile into the redness of blood. And then there's God who... He's able to cause a plague which causes sickness and spots and boils across people. And people never get to see this God. But then Jesus, the image of the invisible God, he's born into this world, isn't he? And what does he do? Well, Jesus comes and he says, well, I'm the bread of life. And he does that after he's fed the 5,000 on the mountain with five loaves. Two fish. He says, I am the bread of life. Okay, Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus doing God things. Or Jesus, he says, I am the living water. If you drink from this, you will thirst again, but come and drink from me, you will never thirst again. Or there's Jesus who on a boat in the midst of a fierce storm as the disciples are afraid for their life, they're going to drown. And Jesus says, be still. The water's calm, flat lake, no more wind, no more rain, no more storm. Jesus, just as God had shown in the past, he has control over the elements and the waters and the seas. 
Or what about God when he turns the water from, from water into blood? Well, Jesus comes, he's like, oh, well, watch me do God take two. I'll take water and I'll turn it into wine. Jesus, the invisible image of the invisible God, and then God who showed his power by judging Pharaoh and the people by giving them boils and spots and, and executing his, showing his power and showing his judgment over them. Jesus comes and what does he do? He does the big reversal as well. He'll reach out and he'll touch a leper. And what happens to the leper? What happens to his sores? Healed. Gone. Who can do that? Only God can do that. Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is fully God. So here's the question. If Jesus is God, what would you do if you actually believed that? If Jesus is God, if God was actually pleased to put on human flesh and to live a life, to model to us life and to come and to rescue people from their sin and to show a way and to clear a way, to make a way and to teach a way. And if this is God, how do you respond if you actually believe that Jesus is God? Are you ready to listen to him? Are you ready to draw near to him? This no longer invisible, some, this somewhat almost impersonal spirit, but actually now has flesh and has a life that has a, has a face. Have you? Are you, do you act as if Jesus is God? Are you someone that seeks to show him the honour and glory and praise that he deserves? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, Emmanuel, God in flesh, God incarnate. which means he's actually lived, he's actually died, he's actually come back to life, he actually will come again and we actually will stand before the living God once again. Are you confident to be able to do that? How do you feel about standing in the presence of the goat? I've been thinking about that question a lot this week. How would you feel if you're actually standing in the presence of the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ? And I've been thinking about people's responses to how they react to celebrities. Everyone sort of seems to have a different response whenever there's like greatness in their midst. Some people are just like, oh, no, I better not bother them. I better not bother them. No, I'll just leave them be, you know. They've got goat things to do, you know? Some people get all fanboy. They get all like la-di-da and they want to dance up. I'm like, oh, can you sign this? Make it out to me. 
Some people are like, oh, can I get a selfie? I'll just get a selfie. I'll just prove that I was in your presence. Somehow your glory will rub off onto me. So what was it? Uh, Rip Curl Pro recently. I feel like I heard like 20 conversations. It was just like, oh, yeah, it's just, uh, just, uh, yeah, just uh, surfing down at Winky with the, uh, the other guys down there. No, sister. Yeah, John John, surfing with John John. Yeah. It's like, no, you weren't. You were in the water and he was surfing and you were just sitting there. And you're not a better surfer because you sat in the water next to someone who was a really good surfer. Anyways. Some people are in disbelief. Can you believe it? It's them. They're over there. God, can we have a look at them? Everyone, I feel like our personalities can, can de- de- determine often the way that we seek to be in the presence of greatness. And I think it's funny because... <laughs> I think it's funny because like there's, there's like church denominations that like represent this in terms of being with Jesus, right? Like, have you noticed this? Have you noticed like there's some churches when they start talking about Jesus, you know, that's like some denominations, they get a like, real fanboy, start dancing around. It's like, yeah, selfie with Jesus, duck face. And then there's other churches that's like, oh, no, 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 we're just, we'll do here. And we're like, Jesus is there and we're not going to bother him too much. I think the question that should guide our response to how we would act if we were in the presence of Jesus Christ should start with actually asking the question to Jesus, hey, why are you here in the first place? Why are you here in the first place? How would Jesus respond to that? Do you know how he would respond to that? Jesus, he gives us a few answers. He says, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus would have said, I've come to transfer people from the domain of darkness and to bring them into the kingdom of God. That is why I'm here. Gentle would have, Jesus would have been gentle and gracious. He wouldn't have been overbearing and pushy. The invitation was, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus invites people into his presence. He he enters in onto the stage of human history, and then he gently graciously, wonderfully, lovingly. He says why he's here and then he lets you make the next step. You see, there's two responses. There's two responses when you get to stand with and be with and, and know that the image of the invisible God is, in, is there. One is... Oh, yeah, I'll be right. Awesome. I'll be okay. I've got my own thing going on, Jesus. So I'll be fine. It's great to, great to chat. And um, I've heard a lot about you, but all good. I'll just keep doing life. Probably, I say that's the majority response, isn't it? Let's keep doing our own thing. 
don't let Jesus get too much into my life because then I'm not in control because <laughs> we're all in control. Or the other response is to Jesus is to be like, hey, uh, uh, you've done some things and you've said some things uh, and I've heard some things and I've even experienced some things that actually I go, you, you are God. You are the image of the invisible God. And you know what? I am lost. I am a little bit lost in life. You know what? I'm not a little bit lost. I'm really lost. I've been taking stock of my life and seeing how I go and keeping my goals, seeing how I go and treating people as I think it would be a good way of doing it. And I'm, I'm useless at that. And you know what, Jesus, the more I look at you and look at your compelling life and see your gentleness, see your faithfulness, see your, your love and your mercy and your forgiveness and your power, I don't, I don't know if I can, can come close to you. I don't know, if I, don't know if, I, if I deserve to be your friend. I don't know if I can receive this invitation that you're offering to come to me and have rest. And that's where Jesus wants us. He wants us to say, follow me. Stick with me. Put your trust in me. Put your confidence in me. I'll clean you up. I'll set you on the right path and I will guide you in newness of life. What a beautiful invitation that comes from the image of the invisible God. Now, if you're someone that hears that invitation from Jesus, if you're someone that actually is able to take him seriously in that moment and to go, wow, the God of the universe is inviting me to a fresh start with him. And if you want to walk in that and you accept him cleaning you up and you want to start a fresh life and you're like, you know what? I want to live in God's new kingdom culture. I want to be a part of that. I want these new priorities. I want to submit to him. I'm not going to be the Lord of my life. I'll let Jesus lead my life because his way I've seen is good. What do you do then? What does it mean to be a citizen of his kingdom? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to live in a state of forgiveness and love and grace and mercy? Where do we look to find that way? Who do we turn to for that instruction? You know what Paul would say? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's where you go. That's who you look at. Because Jesus, the image of the invisible God, he's not only fully God, He's also fully man. Jesus, fully God, fully man. If you want to know what God is actually like, look at Jesus. But if you also want to know what the optimized human life is like, look to Jesus. What does it mean to live a life of 
abundance and joy and peace and freedom from fear. Look at Jesus. Look at his amazing life. Jesus, he shows us what a perfectly, a perfectly, a perfect life devoted to God looks like. He shows it in the prayers that he says, in the priorities that he has, in the pace that he lives, in the joy that he exudes, in the purpose that he lives out, in the peace that he is and that he gives. What does it mean? What does it look like to be living as someone in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ? What does it mean? It means look at Jesus. That is what discipleship is. Discipleship is is apprenticing to the king. It's being a student under the teacher. Dallas Willard would say that Discipling, being a disciple of Jesus or being an apprentice of Jesus is living your life as if Jesus would live your life. So whether you're a teacher or a builder or a parent or a friend, living, living that out in the way that Jesus would live it out if he were you. Or if to simplify that, it's once you know that you belong with Christ and, and have accepted his invitation and you belong in his family and you, are, and, you, and you have entrusted your life to Jesus, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, know the joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory and you're able to call out to God as Father and know deep down in your heart the peace that transcends all understanding. You belong with Jesus and when you belong with Jesus, you'll then be strengthened by Jesus and over time, you'll be becoming more like Jesus. That is the purpose of any teacher, isn't it? A teacher will be like, you are going to be able to do these things that I am showing you how to do. Salvation is not an event. Salvation is a life lived every day as we put off our old life and put on Christ. And there's confidence to be able to live in that way. So much confidence. We've looked at Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says he's the firstborn of all creation. Firstborn of all creation. Now that word firstborn, it doesn't, it's not, it's not a, it's not like a chronological word. It's not like he was the first thing made, okay? We're not, we're not buying into the Aryan controversy, controversy. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus was not like the first man made and then he became. Jesus is God. He's always been God, always will be God. Firstborn is a state of authority. Firstborn is the same as like firstborn son. That's how much authority he's the firstborn. It's not an order, it's authority. It's not. It's not a state in the order of creation. It's his status in creation. And if he's the firstborn, if he has the authority of the firstborn, and if he's God of whom all things have been created, as we fumble through life and stumble forward, trying to be putting on the life of Christ, we do that not by relying on our own strength, but whose strength? Who would Paul say? 
Jesus is strength. It's all about Jesus. He's the goat. He's the one of, of whom we can live because we turn to him. If he can create everything by just speaking it into being, how much confidence can you have for him to recreate your life as he walks side by side with you? Isn't that awesome? So instead of us turning to our job to find satisfaction and to, you know, we turn to Jesus, instead of us thinking we need to try, keep trying harder and harder and harder, and we feel like we're failing because we're doing it our own strength, we should be turning to Jesus. We turn to the firstborn of all creation and let him recreate us, the image of the invisible God. So church, this week, as you go through, as you go through your life and as you think about how you might react and how you might respond, think about Jesus, the image of the invisible God. Let his status and let his posture, let his rule give you confidence because he is your saviour, he is your Lord and he can lead you and guide you as God. And when you get to those really specific hairy moments of like, oh, what do I do here? I'm not sure what I should do. Look to Jesus, the optimised human life. And maybe you can ask, I wonder what Jesus would do in my situation right now. And sometimes you don't have to wonder. You can read. You can look at the life of Christ and see what he would have done. <clears throat> Go to the manual. Let Jesus be your teacher and let the Holy Spirit be your tutor as you sleep, seek to live for his glory this week. As we do that, let me pray. Pray for that strength. Pray for that help. Pray for that realisation. Pray for that minder. And then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you for Jesus, who because of him, we, have been, we can be transferred from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.